This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Monday, September the 18th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show. What is stopping you from trying something new in your fitness routine? Inclusive sport advocate Ryan Van Praet will work out some answers. And Microsoft is gearing up to release new hardware this week in their Surface event. Sean Priest, scrape below service. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, BC Premier David Eby has announced that MLA Adam Walker has been removed from the new Democratic Party. Brenda Molina Navidad has the story. Eby says in a statement that the BC New Democrat Caucus conducted a thorough internal investigation after a human resources complaint was issued against Walker. He says that investigation found misconduct on Walker's part. The statement says he will no longer be a member of the government caucus or a parliamentary secretary. It says no additional details will be disclosed as it is a human resources issue. Brenda Molina Navidad, the Canadian press. And over to Ontario. Ontario's Superior Court will make a decision on the constitutional rights of people who are sex workers. Today, Rob Westgate explains. The Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Law Reform argued in court last fall that Canada's prostitution laws violate the charter rights of workers in the industry. They say the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act, which was brought in by the former Conservative government, is fostering stigma, inviting targeted violence and preventing sex workers from obtaining meaningful consent before engaging with clients. That law was passed back in 2014, about a year after the Supreme Court of Canada struck down previous anti-prostitution laws, after lawyers argued existing provisions were disproportionate, overbroad, and put sex workers at risk of harm. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in John Lepke for a sports chat. John, you were filling in for Brock Richardson today. Great to have you aboard. A little bit of news from the hockey world to discuss. Columbus Blue Jackets head coach Mike Babcock resigned yesterday amid a scandal that might be a little bit confusing to explain, but the long and short of it is there are allegations that he was making players show them pictures on his phone and further allegations that he might have been putting those pictures up on a screen uh, in team meetings, which uh, rankled the NHL Players Association in a particular way. Uh, John, this was supposed to be a rehabbed Mike Babcock after uh, being ousted from the Toronto Maple Leafs job for similar mind game-esque behavior in the workplace. Looks like all that rehab for a couple years did not quite work for Mike Babcock. All that rehab locally going to coach at the U of S. And I also find it interesting that, you know, this got publicized on the uh, Spitting Chicklets uh, hockey podcast, which is Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports, not exactly the um, 
leaders in good behavior. So it, it's a uh, it's a fascinating conversation all around. <laughs> and um, it gave me very much like Bill Belichick and the Jets uh, vibes almost going up. Not that Bill Belichick had a scandal, but just, you know, holding your first major, maybe your second major press conference to announce that you've resigned. Yes, that uh, definitely happened with old uh, Bill Belichick when he took over that job in the uh, 1990s. Yeah, John, I, I just want to go a little bit deeper into this. You mentioned the fact that it was the Spit and Chicklets podcast on Barstool that essentially broke the story. Again, I, I wouldn't necessarily talk about behavior, but I would say uh, Barstool, not exactly a bastion of journalism, and the host who did it, Paul Bissonnette, actually took a little bit of blowback from people in the mainstream media, took a little blowback from some players as well but in the end the reporting that he offered up or what could be called reporting in some way shape or form ended up being correct and this story evolved fast the story probably broke on monday or tuesday of last week and by sunday afternoon mike babcock a, a high profile hire for the columbus blue jackets multiple stanley cup winner multiple gold medal winner for team canada out the door before he's even coached a single game for the Blue Jackets. It's it's notable. I find it to be notable, and I don't know what sound my body just made, but I apologize for that. No, no need. Okay. <laughs> All right, John. So that broke during the course of football yesterday where I was locked into a busy NFL week two. John, uh -huh. as soon as I found out you were filling in for Brock today, I said, let's turn the tables. Let's have you ask me questions to get my week two reactions. And you can pipe in and respond as you feel along the way. All good. And don't worry, it, it's, I'm not going to take that Adele song reference and sing my questions, okay. as tempting as it might be. Okay, <laughs> so... You know, over the last week, there was a real funeral-like atmosphere around the Aaron Rodgers injury. You made a joke about it in a previous segment. Um, having watched two weeks of the season, do you feel like that atmosphere, that conversation in the media has been justified? Well, that's probably the way that the New York Jets are feeling because their quarterback, Zach Wilson, looked woefully unprepared to deal with the Dallas Cowboys yesterday. Now, the Dallas Cowboys defense is probably the best defense in the league. If they're not the best defense in the league, they're the second best defense in the league, and they were all over him bright and early in that game. So I would say the funeral-like atmosphere for the New York Jets is probably justified because that team had playoff aspirations Aspirations, maybe even Super Bowl aspirations, and those are clearly out the window. Zach Wilson, number two overall pick a couple years ago, it just looks like he doesn't have it in terms of day-to-day -day or play-to-play -play or drive-to-drive -drive consistency on the team. That said, more broadly, John, I don't think it's that big a problem for the league because if you look at the schedule yesterday, there were 13 NFL games played and nine of them ended as one score games so the product mm -hmm. in and of itself the parody and tightness of the sport will make up for it more broadly but for jets fans you got to feel bad today because it looks like they're in deep trouble yeah i i think we're gonna have another week of every football segment being should they trade for a quarterback oh. and they have to be looking at the, what happened in that division yesterday and just thinking well buffalo got back on track miami had a a good performance what are we going to do now yeah okay. absolutely so we talked a few weeks ago about whether or not preseason snaps for starters actually matter. Um, after two weeks, what are your thoughts? Let's get your updated opinion. <laughs> a revised opinion. I talked a little bit about this last Monday as well, where the Cincinnati Bengals really struggled in their week one game against the Cleveland Browns. And those struggles continued into the first half of their game against the Baltimore Ravens yesterday. Finally, 
they got their game going in the third quarter, but it clearly showed that a lot of starters that they sat during the preseason took them about a week and a half to really find their legs, John. And now the Cincinnati Bengals are sitting here at 0-2 after two weeks. Not the same kind of death sentence it was in a 16-game season or a 16-playoff format, but they are going to be uh, in some trouble here. So that's one side of the preseason equation. On the flip side, John, you've got a team like the Los Angeles Rams who also sat a bunch of their starters during the preseason. But what that meant is they got a lot of their reserves and a lot of their bench players ready to play. And the Rams may have lost to the 49ers yesterday, but they pounded the Seattle Seahawks in week one. And Puka Nakua, who I'm going to hold that thought for a second because we'll come back to Puka Nakua, their wide receiver. Mm -hmm. It clearly shows the fact that they were not playing a lot of their starters during the course of the preseason, allowed a lot of young players and undrafted players or late-round picks to win jobs, and it looks like that Los Angeles Rams team, again, probably not a playoff team, but they've come out and been totally ready to play in the first couple of weeks on the strength of depth they built through the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think when you look at teams like, uh, although it was a bit of a slow game against Jacksonville, Kansas City bouncing back, we had some of these teams that took a bit of an L in the first week, um, uh, really bounce back. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that develops. And and you're right, what, what elements make it so that your team can make it through the preseason without players versus when they can't? Okay, what game did you zero in on yesterday and why? If you're anything like me, you sit on there on uh, NFL Red Zone and then flip to the game that seems interesting. Which one Which one caught your uh, attention? Yeah, because there were so many close games, John, especially during the 1 o'clock uh, series of games, I did find myself locked into Red Zone a little longer than I liked to have been because there were so many one-score close games. But during the 4 o'clock games, oh my gosh, I got so in to the Washington Commanders Denver Broncos game. Washington mm -hmm. falls behind 21-3 early in the second quarter. The game looks like it's over. They fight and they claw and they scratch. They take a fourth quarter lead. They come all the way back, but then, uh-oh, Denver hits a Hail Mary with no time left on the clock to set up a two-point conversion to tie the game. They don't get it. John, it was high drama in Denver uh, with the Commanders and the Broncos, two teams that I'd say are going absolutely nowhere, but I got so sucked into that game because the players on the field just kept making making wacky plays and to the mm -hmm. to the credit of the people in Denver those fans make so much noise during the game and it was a, just an amazing experience to watch that game I was flipped onto another game and then I I clicked onto Facebook and saw one of my friends go who's a avid Denver Broncos fan just write I hate football <laughs> so I knew <laughs> I knew what was going on there okay last uh last question for you today we had some rookies with some standout performances yesterday joys of the NFL is that uh, uh cheap labor tends to perform well <laughs> um which rookie are you super keen on having watched the last two weeks okay so uh you mentioned him earlier I think I, I mentioned I mentioned one of them earlier wide receiver for the Los Angeles Rams Puka Nakua uh, recorded another 
15 receptions yesterday through two games. He has 25 total receptions. That smashes the all-time record for a rookie receiver two weeks into their career. The previous record was 19. He has six more. He was a fifth-round pick, totally unheralded out of Brigham Young University in Utah, except that by all measurements last year in terms of uh, catchable catchable balls that he caught, route running, separation, getting open, all of these measurables that reflect on how good you are at playing football, he was great at BYU. But he went to the NFL Draft Combine and ran a very slow 40-yard dash. And when I say very slow, uh, 4.57 seconds to run 40 yards is pretty fast for most humans, uh, just not football players. And he slid into the fifth round And it just looks like here's another example of a tremendous football player, a guy who's great at playing football, sliding in the draft because of pure physical, tangible metrics. And it's one of the mistakes, John, that I think so many sports teams make across sports where they're drafting players based on frame rather than actual ability. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, Doing much better than the other uh, BYU graduate we were talking about earlier, Zach Wilson. Mm -hmm. I also think perfect type of receiver for Matthew Stafford this late in his career, Um, capable to get open, but also acknowledging that, you know, Stafford isn't going to take as many deep shots as he did with the Lions. So Mm -hmm. somebody who can be that, that, um, high volume catch guy. Perfect. For me, it was, I'm going to cheat here. It was two people, uh, so we saw Anthony Richardson, Colts quarterback, yes. have two touchdowns in the first half before he was knocked out with a concussion. I want to zero in on, you know, a, I think most people were expecting to look at some of the other quarterbacks. CJ Stroud had a decent game, but really seeing him come alive and be a bit, I hate to say this, a bit Lamar Jackson-esque was really exciting. And then the game that I zeroed in on was the Falcons and Packers oh. game. I would argue the the best game of that early window yesterday. Um, and if, I mean, we've got to admire the guts on the head coach for the Falcons, but uh, Arthur Smith, but, you know, if Bijan Robinson doesn't convert that fourth down, the Falcons don't get that win. Um, they're not able to run up that clock and kick that field goal. Yeah, it was a very interesting day for analytics and risk-taking by coaches. Arthur Smith uh, definitely took a huge chance going for it on fourth and inches late in the game because, as you pointed out, they were already in field goal range. Atlanta could have kicked that field goal to win that game right there or at least take the lead, but he felt like he was going to be leaving the Green Bay Packers too much time, so he took a huge risk, huge gamble. Uh, John, I think maybe the next time you pop by for a sports chat, we should talk about risk and analytics and mathematics in sports because that is something that came out yesterday where there were a lot of aggressive choices made. Some paid off, some didn't, and it's uh, very typical of the NFL to uh, simultaneously reward the aggressiveness and criticize the aggressiveness based on results. Uh, Outcomes Mm -hmm. seem to uh, influence a lot of opinions in the world of football rather than some sort of intellectual consistency. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting to watch, you know, the whole narrative over the last, let's say, six weeks as the NFL media machine has has ratcheted up is, you know, what value can a running back bring? And you see a rookie like Bijan Robinson uh, contribute not only in the run game, but obviously taking attention away in the passing game as well from um, 
uh, a Falcons receiving core that, let's face it, is not the strongest one yeah. that has ever existed. Yeah. And they're able to put the ball in Jordan Love's hands, and Jordan Love goes four and out, I believe, on that final drive. So played perfectly. Of course, we say this, and then seven weeks from now, I'm sure I'll be on <laughs> yeah. saying, what a boneheaded call yeah. by Arthur Smith. Yeah, Arthur Smith, but, useless, useless Arthur Smith. Yeah, I know. That's the joy of the NFL. Yeah. John, it was a great day. Nine, nine one-score games across 13 games played. Uh, that is why the NFL uh, will always rule Sundays. John, you rule Mondays. Thank you for this. Thanks for filling in for Brock today. <laughs> You're welcome. I will see you later. That's John. Well, you'll see me tomorrow. John stopping by for his regular column uh, tomorrow, just after uh, the 10 o'clock hour. That's John Lepke filling in for Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up after the break, Microsoft gearing up to release its new hardware this week. As part of the Surface event, Sean Priest will go below the surface and scratch a little bit deeper. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Microsoft and Amazon are holding events this week. There's plenty of rumor, speculation, and innuendo to get to. Sean Priest will be my partner in speculation. Sean is one of the co-hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Sean. Morning, Dave. I don't know how much innuendo there's going to be, but uh, I like it. Let's go uh, with it. Yeah, you know, when Bill Gates is involved, there's always some innuendo, but that <laughs> might be for a different show. Uh, Sean, let's uh, go through these things piece by piece, beginning with Microsoft. Their Surface Tablet series, the Surface Go 4. That's one of the expected unveilings this week. What's expected about this uh, Surface Go 4? Well, it's, it's an interesting one. As you said, this is all speculation. Microsoft and Amazon, indeed the two big events this week, have been really tight-lipped uh, about what they're going to release. But there is heavy rumors that they are going to release, uh, Microsoft are going to release the Surface Go 4, which actually I'm quite excited about because this is the little brother to the Surface Pro, which is basically a big 13-inch tablet um, running full windows and that's the big deal with these things of Mm. course we've had portable tablets for a long time android tablets ipads but a a very portable tablet which runs you know the most um used operating system which is windows and full-blown windows is incredibly enticing uh Mm. something you can throw in your bag sean Sean, i'm gonna pause you yes why of course sorry i'm getting excited no 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 no, no. in the same way that i was excited about like uh wide receiver measurables in the national football league you have a clue what you were talking about but you made it sound really exciting i don't know i'm glad my enthusiasm uh ranged over i'm sure there were lots of people in the audience who also had no clue what i was talking about uh sean why is it so enticing go a little bit deeper into that go below the surface why is it so enticing to have full windows on a laptop because it's the thing i use when i want to get something done uh, I, I, it, you know uh, whether in my case it's audio editing but whatever it is that you need to get done whether it's for work or hobby or whatever it may be it is windows i always sit in my shed where i've got a keyboard i've got my main computer which has got enough power behind it where i'm not waiting around to do things now the ipad for example or even my smartphone 
incredibly powerful in itself. But when it comes to workflow, it's not quite there. Uh, Apple had the iPad and were very keen to say, hey, this iPad Pro is the laptop killer. It's the laptop replacement. And people got it in their hands and said, you know what, it, it, it may be a great design, but the software itself, the operating system, just isn't ready. How do mm. I get my files off? I want to plug my pen drives into it and just drag them off. And it's just not quite there. Maybe it's to do with the touch interface or, or maybe it's just the operating system. It, it, uh, we don't know. But when it comes to Windows, and maybe it's just because it's been around for so long, but people just feel more comfortable with Windows. They have their workflow, you know, their copy and mm -hmm. paste, their, mm -hmm. their, uh, it, it just makes more sense. It feels more comfortable. And uh, having that in a very portable design, such as a tablet, and of course the caveat is that everyone who uses a Windows tablet always buys a keyboard for it yes. because it, it just makes it easier than that touch interface. The touch interface is great for simple interfaces, um, but for something as complex as a, uh, uh, let's say, a desktop computer, for example, a desktop operating system, touch isn't quite there yet. Maybe it's because it's still stuck in its legacy past. Mm. But actually, the ability to use Windows and the amount of apps and software and files that we already use is really compelling. Sean, you just made the case perfectly right there. You and I have talked about tablets so, so much over the course mm. of the last couple of years. And one of the questions I always come to you with is, you know, Sean, other than entertainment, what am I actually going to use a tablet for, right? Other than maybe FaceTiming on my iPad with my parents or maybe watching football or, or streaming Netflix, what am I going to do with this thing? I think you just made the case so eloquently right there that says you can actually use this as a tool. Maybe you don't want to schlep your big 14-inch laptop everywhere with you. Now, you might still have to schlep a mouse and schlep a keyboard, but it's going to just feel <laughs> a little bit more compact and usable and friendly because that's what I do feel like when I'm using my iPad. I feel like I'm just off on a different island doing iPad stuff that relates to nothing else that I'm doing with my technology. Absolutely, you're right. I mean, the, the, the iPad for me was always about consuming content. It was never about creating or productivity. It was about browsing the web, watching streaming services or whatever it was when I could actually see the screen. And I, those days have gone, so now I might as well just use my iPhone for that sort of thing. But um, when it comes to the Surface Go 4, so the Surface Go range are a 10-inch tablet, um, and they're really compelling. They are aimed at education, at students, uh, uh, just really portable device. And the design is the key on these. These are beautiful, thin, shiny, rounded beautiness. And so far, they've been dogged by, I love it, I really want to use it, but it's just too slow. Okay, So what, power. what the expectation, yes, power, performance. The battery life was like six hours in the Go 3, which came out in 2021, which, you know, even if we were 2021, wasn't great for a device like that. You would expect all day battery life. So what they're hoping for, what the rumor mill is hoping for is that we get a Intel-powered um, device that truly is portable um, and design and people there's a lot of excitement for the surface go for if they get it right, right. And this time hopefully they do
Sean, let's go from hardware to software, because there's also some speculation about Windows 12. I have yet to upgrade to Windows 11, but that's how I be. I'm a Luddite. I'm a Luddite like that. But what is... Vista. What, <laughs> Windows 95 over here uh, for this guy. Uh, I'm using DOS uh, 311 over here to do my day-to-day. Uh, Don, what, uh, uh, Sean, what are, what are some of the, the speculations or rumors around Windows 12? Well, actually, there is a bit of a theme amongst these two, Microsoft and Amazon uh, events, and that is AI. So they're, they're, people are using the throwing around the Windows 12 term. I don't think it's going to be. I think it's just a, another feature update, which we usually get around this time for Windows 11. It's going to be Windows 11 23H2. That's exciting. <laughs> Not to be too but, technical about it. Yeah, sorry. Well, if you're going to nerd out over sports, yeah, give me my chance. So... Um, the big, big thing about this is Copilot. So Cortana has gone, you know, and 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 Copilot is the next voice assistant, if you like, or at least a personal assistant built into Windows. There's going to be a sidebar which just floats there across every app, every web browser you're using, and um, basically it uses AI. So you could say, for example, I'm browsing a website, I don't understand it, happens all the time, and I can simply ask Copilot, hey, can you summarize this for me or make it easier to understand? So it's harnessing the power of chat GPT, open AI, to bring AI to your desktop. Interesting. And this could be really exciting. Of course, there's just the usual, you know, you could say, do not disturb or make my screen darker or lighter. But this is sort of a mix between the clippy paperclip that we all had back in the day and hated, <laughs> you know, there to give you advice, and Cortana, the voice assistant. So I don't know about accessibility. I haven't tried this out for myself. It has been available for developers. I haven't tried it out. But I think this could be really quite useful for us in terms of accessibility. But more than that, just using the computer could be much, much easier. So there's a lot of excitement about AI come into Windows. You mentioned the commonality here with AI, and that's where the Amazon event comes in this week as well, talking about some of the smart assistants possibly getting some generative AI incorporated into their into their uh, machination, Sean. I have to confess, I thought they already were using AI in a lot of those uh, Amazon uh, smart devices. Well, kind of. I mean, it, it, what level of AI? I mean, it, just using speech recognition, understanding what you're saying and understanding it well is a, a high degree of machine learning in itself. But when it comes down to providing the answers, it's sort of searching a database of, you know, often you'll get a, 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 a Lady A answer user has given this reply or I found this on the web. Whereas generative AI will get those sources and then summarize it for you. It can understand it and make it easier and present it in a more human-like way. And that's the key. So um, when it comes down to the Amazon event, again, we're all speculating about the hardware. To be honest, nobody knows. There's probably going to be more speakers. That's probably going to happen. <laughs> but the big thing is where are they going to go? Because they are now showing their age when it comes to their... Um, their intelligence of their smart speaker. I mean, the, the clues in the name, it's got to be smart. And people want that ability now. Now we've had a peak at uh, ChatGPT and Bing Chat and all that. We want our smart speakers to give us that opportunity so we can talk to it and say, turn the heating on for three hours and then turn the light on at you know 6 p.m. And, you know, without having to give a single command, then wait for it to do it, then give it another command. We want to just talk to it in a human-like way. <laughs> Is that going to happen? We'll have to wait and see, but we're hoping so.
Sean, I want dumber technology. I've been in a battle with my Spotify <laughs> for weeks on end because it keeps trying to go to algorithmic uh, playlists and I don't want it to. And it put like a thousand songs in my queue, although I, I, I think I blame somebody else for that. But nonetheless, I, I've been having like an ongoing fight with my Spotify <laughs> where it's using too much AI. I want my technology to be dumber, not smarter. I want to be in control, Sean. Yeah, we all want to be in control. The machines are taking over, Dave. Just go with it. <laughs> Just let's go with the flow and say thank you to the self-checkout machine when you leave the grocery store. Uh, Sean, what else is on tap for you and Stephen this afternoon on uh, Double Tap Daily? Oh, on Double Tap today, we are going to be talking about iOS 17, which is available today, official launch. Oh. Um, we are going to talk about the uh, features that it brings because, to be honest, we've totally forgotten what it brought. We've been talking about it for so long, we've forgotten what <laughs> features it's going to have and also any possible bugs. And should you update today? Oh. The answer is no, by the way. Save yeah. you some time. No. We, we we had that question a couple of weeks ago uh, around one of the Apple uh, security patches that came through where they were telling people to update and it's like, oh, you know what happens with uh, disability <laughs> and accessibility settings when you update the yes. day of. Yes, it's always a bit of a gamble, but uh, definitely when it comes to a major iOS update like this, always hold back for at least a month and uh, see what happens. Yeah, give it a couple days and let the nerds like Sean deal with it first. Uh, yes, Sean, right. have a great day, boss. <laughs> always a pleasure catching up. You too. Thank you so much. See you later. That's Sean Priest. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap. You can find that show daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can follow the team on air or on Twitter on X at Double Tap on air at Double Tap on air. Coming up after the break, Megan Gilmore has a question about Canadian celebrities. Does Canada have celebrities? I mean, we do, but do we... Megan will pose the question to myself, Nizreen, and Ramya. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Megan Gilmore, you've got a question for the roundtable having to do with Canadian celebrities, specifically after the Canadian Country Music Awards over the weekend. Yeah, so uh, over the weekend, the Canadian Country Music Awards, CCMAs, had their 2023 edition in Hamilton, Ontario. This award ceremony has a special place in my heart because I used to watch it a lot, and I've also been to it a couple times in person. Ooh. So it just, like, makes me happy. Yeah, so... It just makes me happy. Uh, so for those of you who want to know, uh, Jade Eagleson was named Entertainer of the Year and Male Vocalist of the Year. And my girl, Tennille Towns, took home Female Vocalist of the Year, a title she has held since 2019. Now, um, I understand that most people probably don't super follow Canadian country music, and that is not why I brought this up. I bring this up because uh, there was a conversation on the news panel last week about celebrity reporting, and there's a bigger question that we didn't that the news panel didn't have time to dive into, which is about Canada. Like, do we have celebrities? Do we have famous people? Does anybody care? Is there a Taylor Swift Canadian equivalent reporter position to be had out there? These are the questions I want to bring to the roundtable. So 
I feel like it's pretty obvious for everybody around the table here. Nazreen, we have Canadian celebrities. Obviously, we do, right? I feel proud when I hear a celebrity is Canadian. I do. But at the same time, I feel like I don't care as much as I should, probably. But um, it, right when I hear, okay, like, Ren Reynolds is Canadian, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, he is, and he's big. So um, everybody knows he's Canadian. But, but, like, but, like, um, you, but, like, you care about Drake in the weekend? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, those are the OGs, and they're they're big all over the world. And the fact that, that they've grown so much. Um, and, I, I, like I said, I do feel proud when I hear a big celebrity as Canadian. Thank you for making me feel old by referring to The Weeknd and Drake as uh, the OG uh, famous Canadians. <laughs> like Not that, the OG. It, that makes yeah, me feel really... Like... That makes me feel like I'm fossilizing <laughs> fast over here. Uh, Ramia, I, come in, I mean, again, I think, I think there's sort of like a self-evidence here. Obviously, there's Canadian celebrities, like Justin Bieber uh, would be one, Ryan Reynolds, Keanu Reeves. Like, there are loads of famous Canadian people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're obviously Canadian celebrities, so it's really not that part of it for me. It's more, um, they're celebrities in Canada. They're also internationally very much acclaimed, we know, because of the accolades they hold from just international stages. I think it's more, you know, are we spreading the celebrities on all different facets like comedians actors um different music scenes etc yes and do we give them enough uh love and cheerleading within the country and like drake did he was he big in canada before he got big anywhere else that kind of thing and megan i think that's sort of the crux of what you're getting at here right like like i'll be honest i like country music I'm not super familiar with these names that you dropped in this intro. And I wonder if maybe the crux of your question actually has to do with, do Canadians actually create celebrity internally broadly, or do we wait till somebody in Wyoming mm -hmm. likes our stuff? Right, yeah. And how do we respond then when a Canadian goes elsewhere, particularly south of the border, the United States, and they make it big? and they make it big there. Um, yeah. I don't think, so I think it's, it's, I think it's Mordecai Richler who had a quote years ago that essentially came down to like, Canada as a country, we are allergic to accomplishment. Like we don't like grandiose things uh, typically. We like people to be self-deprecating, um, like, my hometown, Brantford, Ontario, classic story of this, Walter and Phyllis Gretzky, now both deceased, their son, Wayne, at one point was the highest paid athlete in North American professional sports. They lived in the same house. They drove the same car. Mm. It was no big deal. And like that is like an iconic Canadian type thing. Wayne can go live in whatever big mansion he wants, but his parents have to live in the same house and drive the same car because that's what we expect in this country. I I wonder if there's also different elements of different kinds of cultures that go into this. Like when I think about Canadian rock music mm -hmm. or Canadian Celtic rock music, there's bands like, I'm just going to name off a couple here, Great Big C, obviously very, very famous. There's the Tragically Hip, famously like never made it big south of the border, that they were always sort of attached as part of a Canadian identity. I even think about uh, bands like Blue Rodeo, 
right? Where this is sort of like a Canadian rock band that for any reason could have made it big in the States, but just sort of continues to exist as the Canadian music experience. So Ramya, I wonder, I wonder if maybe some of it is, I don't even know if it's about a Canadian culture thing or if there are actually Canadian celebrities, but we just think of them. As such, as such big celebrities that, that it doesn't matter if they're an international celebrity or not. Because I think the three bands that I just mentioned, pretty much anybody in Canada is going to know yeah. them. Yeah, you know them as Canadian. But I don't know. I, I might push back a little bit and just say we know them as Canadian celebrities. So, yes, they are celebrities within the country and in our minds. Um, but oftentimes we say Canadian we 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 kind of separate we don't just say oh my gosh this amazing band we say this amazing canadian band or yeah. this, but true. but it's when true. we talk about drake we never do that right we don't say this amazing to rapper or like he originally came from toronto no in fact we're just reclaiming drake now that he's so huge and say but remember guys he he comes from the hood he comes from toronto or you know like when he started to build on post street his uh home we started to feel like he was representing back at us but it really doesn't it doesn't feel the same way for brands like tragically hip dave we all often say canadian band yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. The, I think maybe that's ultimately where the, where the conversation sort of like lays here, sort of a fascinating conversation point. But let's wrap up here, sort of to the news hook that Megan mentioned. Uh, Gannett Media, which owns USA Today in the United States, last week announced that they were going to be creating a Beyonce-specific beat reporter and a Taylor Swift-specific beat reporter. Nazreen, who's a Canadian celebrity that deserves their own specific beat reporter? Mm, I think... Is it is it fair to say the weekend? I mean, I'm obsessed with the weekend, so I'm gonna go with that. A lot of the shine came off around that uh, television show, <laughs> The Idol, that yeah. he made. It seems like things got a little off the rails. Uh, Ramya, <laughs> what about you? Who, who is a Canadian artist who deserves their own beat reporter? Uh, yeah, the top three would be The Weeknd, Drake, and Justin Bieber. Like be Because of the music scene and how big they are, they would definitely need it. Yes. Yeah, I do think the Biebs, I do think the Biebs mm -hmm. might still, might still deserve his own. And Megan, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to step away from music. Going to go to film. Ryan Reynolds. I just love Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. I would want... I, mm -hmm. I, I would want daily updates on Ryan Reynolds' life. Um, and he, like, his business side, that's really come more into the forefront in the past few years. Ryan Reynolds as a businessman and what he's been able to do, either with, like, sports or... Tele or telecom mobile. companies. Yeah. And, like, I just think it's fascinating. And who doesn't want more Ryan Reynolds, Blake Lively in their life? Okay. You know what? I'm sold. I like Megan's vote. I'm going to go with Ryan Reynolds. Megan, thank you for this. Nazreen, thank you. Ramya, before you go away, what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya today at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI? We're talking about season two with the healthy or healthy at home with Bobby Jensen. It's back on AMI. We're going to learn about um, the the kind of home wellness and fitness things mm -hmm. that Bobby's going to talk about on the show. Also, Metro Vancouver Regional Parks are offering guided uh, nature walks and other kinds of things. We're going to talk about it with community reporter Carol Yapel. And on Know Your Rights, we're talking about the Ontario School Boards. And question is. Um, books being pulled off library, public library shelves, things that are like, reportedly books that are um, written 15 years ago or earlier and books that don't have a, quote, equity and diversity angle to them. So yeah. big 
controversy here. Yeah, well, the Canadian media framed it as controversial. It's actually not mm. that controversial. It looks like it's a misunderstanding of a government directive. Uh, that was an extensive conversation last week on the news panel with uh, Judah Gupta cool. and Michelle McQuig. So check out Friday's podcast if you want a little bit of a primer. Uh, Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great show. That's Ramya Amuthan, fresh off a big weekend of soccer co-hosting Kelly and Ramya, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Coming your way next, what's stopping you from trying something new in your fitness routine? Ryan Van Praet works out some of the answers. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You know the merits of physical activity. Drop a few pounds, sleep better. Here's the thing. You might be getting a bit bored of your routine. So what is stopping you from trying something new? Ryan Van Praet is an inclusive sport advocate. He has some answers to that question. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning. Ryan, first things first, you have your fitness routines down pat. You did a triathlon yesterday. How are you feeling this morning? Not bad. I got holding up my finisher's medal, so I made it. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's the number one key. Yeah. Got, got from point A to point Z. So exactly. long distance biking and running in your training. How do you mix that up so it feels a little bit less monotonous? Yeah, uh, for, for me as an athlete with vision loss, there's a couple ways. So there's a combination of indoor and outdoor training. So a lot of my training's indoors. Uh, and then I get the, the privilege of getting outside with my guides. So right there, you've got, you've got some di diversity, some, some difference, uh, different guides, uh, you know, different conversationalists, different styles. So that's really good. And then even within the exercise itself, um, long, slow distance, uh, short, fast distance, hills, uh, it was, yeah, just variability. It's just changing, um, you know, there's many ways to ride a bike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, more broadly, speaking about fitness monotony, I'm going to put forward a theory here. Now, now, you're welcome to counter my theory and tell me, Dave, you are full of uh, junk. <laughs> but a lot of people with disabilities want to be physically active. I think that's, like, clear. That's obvious. And I'd also argue that they have a routine a routine that they're maybe not willing to deviate from. I know I'm guilty of this. I've found a couple things that have worked for me over the years and I don't really mess around with it too much. If you accept my theory, if people being stuck in a fitness rut, people with disabilities being stuck in a fitness rut, why do you think that is? Well, it was interesting. You, you sort of qualified yourself there too, but I would argue again that it, it, it's it's universal. Certainly folks with disabilities, we, we I think maybe have more tendency to do it and I'll explain quickly in a second, but I think it is universal. People get stuck in a rut. I think for all of us, it's safety, right? It's there's, they call it the comfort zone. And so if something's working for you, it's hard to change it up. And I think when we look at people with disabilities, routine and uh, comfort and finding that one adaptation is even more of a safe zone. So to change that up is super big and scary. And sometimes you might think that there is no other adaptation. You think, okay, this is the only way I can do this particular activity with my particular disability um, may or may not be the case. But I, 
I think it's uh, uh, for all of us, it's just the comfort zone and it's, and it's finding um, why you're in the comfort zone. Do you need to change the comfort zone? Uh, you know, what, what are your goals? And if your goals are just to be active consistently, comfort zone maybe is okay. But if your goal is more um, progressive based, then yeah, some variability is is important. Yeah, for me, I wonder if it's I don't want to embarrass myself in front of a large group of people. <laughs> Come on, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, I do that every day on air anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what do you think the fitness field or profession or industry is doing to perpetuate some of those barriers? Oh, that's such a tough question because controversially, honestly, I, I don't know that they are as much as we think they are. Mm. I look at this situation as like the old Western standoff. You know, the folks with disabilities on one end and the industry on the other end, and both are waiting for the other to flinch. And I think us as individuals with disabilities, we really want that inclusion. And I think the fitness industry isn't adverse to the inclusion. They just don't know how to do it. And I think sometimes we look at the one one or two bad eggs and we, we kind of paint everybody with that whole brush. And so I, I would say, you know, let's just meet in the middle. Um, it's up to us to have those conversations and really put ourselves forward and be a bit brave there as well. Um, but it's also the willingness of the fitness industry to basically, you know, be ready to accept the knowledge that we're, we're putting forward. So, uh, yeah, it, just having that conversation is, is super important. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you that there is some onus on people with disabilities themselves to do that advocacy. Now, obviously there's advocacy exhaustion that kicks in. If you've been advocating for public transit and housing and yes. trying to get your job all day, you might not be interested in talking to a personal trainer about adapting a routine. But I do think that if you're not going to speak up, no one's going to know. It's become one of the sad realities of the situation. Yeah, I, I just I I found so much, so many good apples amongst the bad apples, and yes, but but you know uh, there probably is a fear in the fitness industry because again they're in their comfort zone. What's working for them? So right. if they open up their doors to something completely new, they're taking a risk too. So it's it's a meet in the middle situation, it, unfortunately. If you were to put forward some ideas on maybe what the industry could do to make people yeah. feel more included, how could the industry go about making some of those changes? Yeah, and I think just starting by just being a bit braver and saying, you know what, let's, for our drop-in sports days, let's make them all-inclusive sports days. You know, have that equipment, the adapted equipment available amongst all their regular equipment. Having some signage saying, hey, this is the rules of, of drop-in hockey for people with vision loss. This is the rules of using, uh, you know, an adapted um, beep ball or, or wheelchair basketball. So really, really posting and, and making that information available so somebody... Um, without a disability walking into this, again, they, they're equally as intimidated too. So how do you mm. make it as low? How do you meet in the middle? I mean, it's, it's a vague answer, but it really, I think, is the key uh, to, to the whole solution. Ryan, I like what you say about posted information because anybody who's been to any weight room anywhere ever knows there's all those things that are up on the wall that are sometimes a little bit innocuous, but it does describe certain exercises or how, how to target certain muscle groups. And I think it wouldn't be unreasonable to have a couple things posted around an arena or a basketball court that say, hey, here are some rules in wheelchair basketball. Here are some rules in blind hockey. Here are some rules in sled hockey. And just simply saying, hey, these are for your points of reference. If you want to include somebody in the game or somebody stops by that wants to be included, here's at least a roadmap or some guidelines to get you started. 
Yeah. I mean, hockey is hockey. Let's put a ball down that makes some noise. And maybe, you know, the person with vision loss wears a penny. And and for the most part, you know, you're in the game. And normalize maybe is is the word we could use. But I think, yeah, it's it's lo- reducing the intimidation factor on on all sides, I think. Yeah. I also think uh, utilizing website and social media, I'm not saying that a company or, or, or a trainer would have to necessarily uh, post all the time nonstop about inclusive classes, but to put it somewhere on the website that they acknowledge, like, hey, uh, I'm open to people with disabilities coming and being a part of this. Just reach out to me in advance and we can try to work something out for you. It's not dissimilar to what you do professionally. Yeah, absolutely. It's just having that conversation because I, I think the willingness is there, but honestly, in the fitness industry, I think maybe they don't want to put anything out for fear of getting it wrong. So they almost don't put anything out at all. Right. Mm, so mm-hmm. it's, which is not the right answer, but I, I I've seen it, you know, Ryan, what about you uh, in terms of something you might want to try that's new? A couple of years ago, I did uh, some Pilates for a summer and I really liked it. But similar to that intimidation that I mentioned to you, I did go into that first class super embarrassed and self-conscious. And I talked to the instructor and I said, hey, here's the deal. Like I might struggle a little bit here. And she ended up being amazing. And I really, really enjoyed that class. I had a fantastic time. And then I never really built on that. But I would love to try yoga sometime. What about you? What's something you'd like to try? Yeah, uh, actually, something I'm probably going to try later in the year is my wife does adult gymnastics. So I uh, now that oh, my man. season <laughs> now that my season is over, I'm like, well, I don't want to hurt myself, but I can maybe afford to hurt myself a little bit. So I'm going to try adult gymnastics. Oh man, I yeah. I do not know if I'm qualified for that one. <laughs> I think that's uh, that sounds like a recipe for disaster to take away whatever hit points I have left on my system over here. Uh, they make it super comfy for us old adults, you know, lots of padding. So it should be, should be good to go. And I like to, I like to kind of like shock people, the, the blind guy running down the mat doing gymnastics. <laughs> the shock factor is fun. How, like if you had to do a front flip right now, could you do it? Um, yes, I could do a front flip, not a back flip. Yeah, I, I could probably do a front roll, but I would still be very concerned about the overall <laughs> outcome of uh, the way that would go. Hey, Ryan, thank you for this. Always a pleasure catching up. Keep up all the great work. Hope that you feel better today as the recovery from the triathlon kicks in. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. That's Ryan Van Praet, an inclusive sport advocate. It's all the time there is for the show today, but there's lots of interesting stuff coming your way tomorrow. Megan Gilmore will stop by, not as the co-host, but in the accessibility reporter role to talk about the inquest into the death of Samuel Brown. The inquest has issued 21 recommendations aimed at the Ministry of Education. Megan will give you some more insight on that story. It's also a Tuesday, which means the weekly news quiz wraps up the show with a little bit of fun. So some serious and some fun just the way I like it on Now with Dave Brown and the way that you like it too. Don't miss it. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.